Welcome to the Woman Warriors Podcast, where we're working to help you call a truce with your anxiety. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, here's your host, Elizabeth Cush, LCPC. Welcome back to the Woman Warriors podcast. This week, my guest is Adriana Alejandre, a licensed marriage and family therapist in Porter Ranch, California, where she specializes in trauma therapy and anger management. She's also been featured on Psych Central, Cosmopolitan, Reddit, and 34 Univision. Adriana is also the host of the Latinx Therapy podcast, where she is working to break the stigma of mental health in the Latin American community. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Woman Warriors podcast. Uh, Today, my guest is Adriana Alejandre. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Porter Ranch, California, where she specializes in working with uh, people who have experienced trauma but she's also the host of the Latinx Therapy Podcast. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, I'll just own that I, you know, you're on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast. So (laughs) I was here in my office this morning at 8 a.m. And I was like, I looked through our emails and I'm like, "Mm, she's not going to (laughs) be awake at five o'clock in the morning. Which is all good. Yeah. But anyhow, so here we are. We figured it out, and uh, I'm excited to have the conversation. Yeah, I am too. So, Adriana, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you into this line of work. Yeah, so I'm, like you mentioned, I'm here in Los Angeles, California, and I graduated from Pepperdine University in 2015, got licensed early 2017. So um, I, at that point, I was already trained in EMDR. I Mm. decided to branch out on my own so that I could help individuals who have trauma. That's that's truly my passion. Mm -hmm. Um, And I couple that with anxiety because it's kind of inevitable. Yeah. yeah, like everyone has anxiety, really. Mm-hmm. The struggle is very real, especially here. Uh, so what got me into this line of work is really, I believe, my culture and my upbringing. I grew up in a very low socioeconomic status, neighborhood, community, schools, educational settings, everything. And I I mean, Growing up, everything in terms of mental health-wise seemed normal because I was growing up with it. The outbursts, the uh, emotional disruptions in kids, and even in the parents, I just thought that was that was what how they were. Right, just what um, life was and, like. Right. Yeah, and it wasn't until I was in college, and a lot of my Latinx peers experienced this too, it wasn't until I was in college that I was like, and, and I took my psychology class, abnormal psychology to be specific, that I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. And not that I was diagnosing anyone, but just that there was a whole realm of like professional help for emotional things, like stress, anxiety, depression, and that their trauma existed. 
mm-hmm. because my mom she actually experienced severe trauma in Guatemala mm-hmm. and she um, she came to this country at the age of 15 um, her story is very complex but that that was really one of my main motivators that got me into specializing in in trauma and at first sure it could have been a it was a projection but now it, it's truly my passion and helping my community to surpass these experiences in a healthier way yeah well and at, you know I want to just go back to what you mentioned at the beginning too is that like being socioeconomically uh, stressed or living in a you know a lower socioeconomic environment that can cause trauma and stress and anxiety in and of itself just because the basic you know what you need to survive is something you have to work really hard to to maintain yeah yeah definitely financial stress and then the stress of like the children um so yeah, yeah, and not and not having the adequate, like as you said, you know, schools maybe aren't as equipped to help these kids, you know, the kids or provide them what they need. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and even the teachers themselves sometimes, especially while I was growing up, like I had my finger smashed by a teacher. Mm. Um, so I know that they were stressed out too. And mm. the way that we were dealing with it just wasn't, we didn't have professional help or resources. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so that really drove you to create a practice around trauma and helping people with anxiety and dealing with the stress of whatever it is in their life. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so for you and uh, maybe for the clients that you help, like I, I work in a very predominantly white upper middle class area. So that's typically my client, you know, people, women in particular who have more privilege. Um, But how would you, you know, if your clientele maybe has some more extreme or different experiences than mine, like how would you say that a woman's experience here in the U.S. that aren't part of the majority, you know, patriarchal white culture how does that impact them and their stress levels and anxiety just day to day yeah on on many levels you know one of the main things is immigration status Mm, and um that there's a host of issues within that 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 rise within that because they're dealing with maybe being paid under the table and um you know a lot of times what happens is they're often abused, whether psychologically, emotionally, sometimes sexually mm-hmm. also, but they stay because they're afraid and they don't know that they still have rights or that they're just, they're too afraid to risk losing that money, their jobs for their families. Yeah. And they can often also struggle with um, transportation, the language barrier. So not, some of them are really good at English, but they don't believe in them in their English. They mm-hmm. they often compare themselves to other women that speak quote unquote better English. Um, so those are some of the main struggles that pop in and out. Then mm-hmm. there's also you know the guilt of leaving their families back home in order to pursue this American dream, 
in hopes of bringing their families here one day to leave the the war or the the uh, gang violence that's going on back in their homes in their countries yeah I know um, I worked at a local hospital for a period of time uh, that was uh, and I worked with um, women who were experienced experiencing domestic violence you know if they identified that there was an mm-hmm. abusive partner or um, and so I would often see because of where the hospital was there's you know there's a big Latin American population here mm-hmm. um, and so I saw too that like even though in, in theory the police were there to support them that that they, that was not a resource they felt comfortable using oftentimes because of either what their experience was in their home country, but also surrounding immigration with, you know, ICE and potentially being deported for reporting a crime. Exactly. Yes, that's that's another fear. There's so many fear within women of color, um, and, and that's definitely the systems. They do not trust the systems. They're super afraid of when uh, teachers have to, or doctors, anyone, have to do mandated reportings because they're uh, afraid that their children will be taken away or that they're going to go to jail. ICE is going to be called. The same thing with, with the police officers. And some police officers have caused them harm, yeah. have mistreated them, and that's just the facts of life. Like, they're Unfortunately, a, a lot of a lot more cultural competency is needed. Um, the world is not perfect, so that's yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah, such a hard um, line to travel and and to help and to you know, yeah, it's so complex and there's mm-hmm. so many variables that yeah, I, I I recognize how hard that can be. So. Um, I know that you, you know, I, I looked at your website and know that, you know, you really have a history, not, not a history, but a uh, background of working with um, women who have experienced violence against them, whether it's domestic mm-hmm. violence or sexual assault. Um, so how do you see violence against women impacting you know, the levels of anxiety and how do you go about supporting and helping women who've experienced that? Well, there, so one common thing that happens within the Latinx community and culture is that a lot of times after a trauma or an experience that causes anxiety is that we internalize it for whatever reason, for the sakes of our families not seeing uh, the symptoms to not worry them Mm -hmm. or because they just don't have a support system anyway. So it's internalized and that and then turns into somatic symptoms. And so they start, some people start believing that they have a physical illness, a health problem because their stomach is hurting and and it's turning inwards and uh, their heart, you know, it feels like they're about to faint. It's their heart keeps racing or, you know, those are the sweat, uh, the heart palpitations. Um, and so they, they do not think that it's psychological when it is. And then there's that layer of stigma in, in our culture where they can't go to a psychologist or a therapist because that's considered 
only to be the last resource for those that are quote unquote crazy Mm. um, or quote unquote psycho. And they say, I'm not crazy. I don't need that. I'm just sick. I I just have to figure it out in Spanish, of course. So um, there's, there is still that layer of stigma. And so the way that I, I work with that is first I connect with them on a true humanistic level. I show them who I truly am. And, and that's my my number one rule with working truly with anyone um, is just to be myself. And after that, after we get to know one another, it gets easier in terms of normalizing, being able to for them to open up about their experience and realizing that I'm a person that they can trust and that I'll genuinely care. Um, from there, I teach coping skills because mm-hmm. the educational level, including for myself, I grew up in a household where these skills, relaxation skills and um, any coping skills, really communication skills, they were not taught to us yeah. uh, at all. So that I take therapy as the opportunity for me now to be teaching Mm-hmm. coping skills at first before we get into the really anxiety provoking things uh, or the trauma. Yeah. So they have the skill set in order to be able to handle those moments, uh, flashbacks that can occur outside of the therapy room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think not just for Latin American women or men, like coping skills for trauma victims across the board and even for everyday people like we're not taught how to relax and how to manage our own emotional right undercurrents you know mm-hmm. it's just something that it, it unfortunately even in schools although I think now some of the schools are beginning to incorporate like mindfulness and meditation and things like that but that's not the norm right no it's not it's very much not not over here for sure in my district (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that first step is really helping the clients sort of resource within themselves how to deal with the you know maybe the flashbacks or the heart palpitations or you know when the stress starts to build being able Mm -hmm. to calm themselves yeah, and the educational component too, psychoeducation, what we refer to it as, yeah. of, you know, this is this is what happens to your body when you experience anxiety. We go through the, in, in terms that they understand, the parasympathetic versus the sympathetic nervous system, because mm-hmm. that's what's activated. So once they learn that educational component and they see it, the handouts, it's not just, you know, me talking about it, but I bring in the actual research and we, we go through it together. Then, you know, they, they start piecing it together. Yeah. And, you know, another important component is within all this is that I give them the, con- the control because they don't have women of color do not really have control outside oh. in the world and society, mm-hmm. depending on their situation. So yeah. I make sure that they have the control inside the therapy office in a very respectful way. We, we create that. And so they can choose their treatment modality. Do they want to do cognitive behavioral therapy, maybe a little bit more psychodynamic work or EMDR? And we, we go through that after they have the coping skills. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that you give them the choice and the power in the session to use what works most comfortably for them. 
Yeah, and some of them have a hard time with decision making, of course. So I guide them a little bit in that sense, and I give them a preview, like, okay, this is what this and this would look like. Mm -hmm. um, and I think no, just because I've I've gotten to know you within the last few sessions, you really need to be talking a little bit more versus you know the EMDR work, even though EMDR is very statistically beneficial. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes they they just need a little bit of a different treatment approach. Yeah, yeah, more relational and yes. connecting. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, talk to me if if you feel comfortable about how what EMDR stands for for the listeners who might not know mm -hmm. that and mm -hmm. how that helps with trauma. Yeah, so EMDR is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Mm -hmm. It's a mouthful, EMDR. <laughs> And um, it really helps to for any symptom, by the way, it could it was created originally for trauma or PTSD, but it has grown and branched out to be able to help for anyone that's experiencing depression, anxiety, self-esteem, body image issues, um, phobias, really anything that you're struggling with in your day-to-day -day life, it, it can be very beneficial mm -hmm. um, because there's different protocols now for it. And what it does is that it through bilateral stimulation, whether that's side-to-side -side eye movement or side-to-side -side left and right tapping of your palms, your th the therapist has to be tapping on the client's palms or doing the side-to-side -side eye movements, the brain accesses these memory networks in order for it to begin the healing. And this is after a series of questions are asked. So we identify the target, like, you know, it, will it be a trauma? And if so, we identify the worst image of that trauma that they're considering. Mm -hmm. So they create it into like a snapshot image. And there's different variations of doing this, but I'm just going to go through the standard way. And then they have to select a cognition. A cognition is like a, a thought or a core belief that they believe about themselves since the incident. Okay. So I am unsafe. And yeah. then they select an emo the emotions that they're currently feeling in the moment about the trauma, about the image that they're selecting, along with identifying sensations that their body feels mm. um, when they think about the trauma. And so after incorporating that, we... Um, select also the core belief that they want to believe instead mm -hmm. and where they're at in terms of level of disturbance of the memory is from a scale of zero to 10, 10 is that it's the highest level of disturbance. And then we be begin the desensitization phase, which is the bilateral stimulation where mm -hmm. the brain will be doing the healing. Mm -hmm. So then the tapping comes in or the eye movements come in while you are desensitizing the person yes that experience yeah and we don't talk during that during the stimulation the client is is there um, we do resourcing before their coping skills we internalize a lot of resources um and before we go into the detail i'm sorry the desensitizing phase mm -hmm. uh, so they have that incorporated it's a very redundant technique but it's a very effective technique after just one session many of my clients tell me that they feel the memory is distant. It's different for everyone, but that has been most of my experience. Wow, that's pretty, yeah. pretty amazing. Yes. Um, 
I'm not trained in EMDR, although I have read a lot about it and know the <laughs> impact it, it can have. And that's, that's really important to have those strategies, especially, I think, I don't know, I, I don't know if this is your experience, but like for flashbacks and from, you know, memories or nightmares, I would imagine that could be particularly helpful. Definitely. Yes. It, I've worked with people who have had that yeah. experience and it's, it's helped them. Nice. Nice. Um, so I'm going to switch, uh, a little, uh, the topic a little bit here because I don't want to not talk about your podcast. So I know that, um, you know, you've, you're a relatively new podcaster like myself and Mm -hmm. your podcast is called Latinx therapy. And so, I know myself as well as like, as you said earlier in the interview that, you know, sometimes for the Latin American community, therapy can seen be seen as like something for crazy people. Like this isn't for the average person. Um, are there other cultural or stigmatized themes around therapy that you see that are, you know, more profound or different you know, than that? Yeah, I think mental health as a whole, uh, I'll focus on that versus uh, just therapy, um, because it is relevant. Sure. So medication, there, there's a big stigma, I, I believe in many cultures, uh, but in, in ours included, where medication is something that is very frowned upon in the Latinx culture, because you're expected to be able to surpass anything that you're going through just on your own. Or the other stigma, which is you're be, you're supposed to be able to surpass it with the help of God, God and God only. Mm-hmm. So you don't need a therapist. You just need God. You just need religion. Things have been happening to you because you haven't stepped into church or you haven't prayed. You have a disconnection with, with your spiritual being. Mm-hmm. So those are uh, the common ones that I often hear about. Yeah, yeah. And so with your podcast, what is your hope to you know, bring out to the world? Education, education about um, diagnoses and to demystify the stigmas because there's Latinos that have gone to therapy and that believe in God and that know that both of them are helpful or just one or the other kind of to, um, I'm, the interviews are mostly with mental health professionals. Mm-hmm. And once a month, I do have a break the stigma guest, which is, um, someone in the community that has experienced a mental illness or mental health realities, and they get to talk about their experience. So through these Latinx voices, both professionally and, you know, through the mental health stigma guests, they're able to spread their seeds of awareness so others can get motivated. And it has worked. I've only been out for one month and Mm -hmm. I've gotten dozens of messages of people saying, thank you. I haven't ever considered this until I ran, I came across your podcast. And so I'm really, really um, grateful that it's, it's touching people. That's awesome. That's really great. And sounds like obviously a much needed resource out there in the community. Yes. Yes, it was. That's awesome. So if you could uh, provide a tip or a resource for the listeners around, whether it's around trauma or demystifying, you know, therapy on a, you know, very down to earth level, like what, what would, 
what would what would your tip or your uh, resource be? Um, I have to think about that one. Mm-hmm. But first and foremost, I think just if you haven't gone to therapy or uh, a support group, even I would suggest trying it out but also knowing that you have the control in terms of selecting who you want to see because a lot of people feel obligated to um, go with just one person but you you do have that choice to um, get consultation uh, have consultation sessions with with various providers to see who is the best fit yeah because ultimately that's what's going to help you your treatment succeed Absolutely. Yeah. So important. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So therapy can really be super helpful. And, and like, I feel as though, you know, no matter what, for whoever it is that, um, finding the right fit, but I would think for women of color, that's even more important because if you're feeling disempowered or, marginalized than to be in a therapy session with someone that doesn't feel comfortable and Mm -hmm. that that would just be the opposite. You'd have the opposite effect. Right. Right. Yes. And, and, you know, always be honest about it because it's, it's not about us, the therapists, it's about, you know, the patients, the clients. And that's what I always tell them. Like, this is for you. Like, there, there will not be hard feelings. All I truly want is for you to get the right help that yeah. you deserve at this point, because it, it takes someone so much like courage to be able to re- reach out to a mental health professional. So once they do, they're they're in it, and I want to make sure that they have that support. That's the best fit for them, even if that's not me. That's okay. Absolutely, I one hundred percent agree. Yeah. So podcasts are also good resources to, you know, try to get motivated like your podcast. Um, And there's also NAMI, which is the National Alliance of Mental Illness, which they have a lot of resources for mental health in general. They're great. Mentalhealthamerica.net also is, is a good one. Awesome. All right. Well, all of those resources will be shared in the show notes. Um, And I, I, just want to say that I appreciate your taking the time today to talk to me. Of course. This was fun. Thank you so much for inviting me. Sure. Is there anything coming up for you in your practice that you would like to share or on your podcast that you feel like it would be important for the listeners to know about? I have a very interesting guest, Break the Stigma guest, next month. So stay tuned. Yep. I'm not going to say who, but... I'm sure a lot of people will know this person. Um, besides that, there's uh, a couple TV segments, some in Spanish, that I'm coming out in. Last night uh, was Univision, where I actually talked about EMDR in Spanish. So wow. um, that's a good resource, too. That's awesome. Well, yeah. that's so cool. Well, congratulations on that. And, and Thank you. Uh, if you send me the link, I will uh, add it to the show notes. I'll do my best to find it because I can't find it. <laughs> I've gotten messages about it. I just haven't seen it. <laughs> All right. Well, I will do a search myself. Thanks. Well, Adriana, thank you again for your time. And I know you're busy. With- thank you so much, Elizabeth. 
Thank you listeners and subscribers for tuning in once again to the Woman Warriors podcast. I really enjoyed my conversation with Adriana. It highlighted for me that stress, overwhelm, and anxiety are difficult enough on their own for women. But as a woman of color in a predominantly white patriarchal society like ours here in the United States, they have the added burden of working from a marginalized position, potentially with fewer resources, when difficult traumatic experiences occur. I want to thank Adriana for shining a light on the difficulties for women of color and for immigrants and how she's working to make a change. Thanks for listening and subscribing to the Woman Warriors podcast. Music was written and performed by Andy Cush. If you'd like more information on this episode, you can find the show notes, the resources shared today, and links to the guests' profiles at womanwarriors.com. Thank you.